All right, Justin. We're not choosing the game today. We got a game today. We're not choosing a game today. Uh, Justin, what is the best uh, live action TV show intro to you? Huh. That's a good question. Man. I'm I'm either going to, it's, man, it's got to be, for me, either Full House. I really like that one. Everywhere you look, everywhere is so hard, it's so hard. I like that one. Um, and then I got to go with my with, with my dogs, man, my Disney dogs, my Chippendales uh, Rescue Rangers. Those it's are probably live my action, two favorites. Though. Oh, you did say live action. No, don't do me like this. Okay, well, I got one, Full House. Let me think of another one. Uh, all the ones I like are animated. Um, oh, I know. <laughs> I did that on purpose. That way you can't be throwing in no Ninja Turtles, no Batman, the animated series, no fucking Jungle Tales, whatever the fuck that was. Jungle Tales? <laughs> I hate you. Tailspin, that's what I meant. Or DuckTales. Tailspin or DuckTales. None of those. Well, there's that one, and I don't know, man. This Peacemaker was pretty good. I mean, the Peacemaker one's kind of fire. I'm not going to lie. It, it, it's pretty tight, but yeah. The, but but the one I mentioned, the, that's probably my my personal favorite. I just really like that Full House song, and it goes with all the, they're showing all the landscapes and the city and the Golden Gate Bridge, and, you know, then they all run up to the house, and they're like, oh, we're happy, and we're a family. I don't know. That's it was memorable to me. We'll go with that. All right. What about you, Heather? Honestly, it really is the uh, Peacemaker one. It's so fun. Like, it's probably one of the only intros to a show of any show I've seen where I don't like skip the intro. It's so good. It's so catchy. It's fun. Um, And I'm not just saying that for the sake of our episode. It really is my favorite. It's funny that you say that, though, because that was James Gunn's goal. Like his stated goal was, <laughs> was to, make it? A, I didn't know that. to make an intro that was unskippable. It worked, man. He did an excellent job on that. I, I don't I don't know anyone that skips it. It's too good. So but that was the correct answer. The correct answer was uh, Peacemaker. So you get a point there, Heather. Um but with this, we're actually going to get a two for here. I've actually got a little bit of movie slash Hollywood trivia for you guys, too. So. Okay. When you hear the Den- mm. the name Denzel Washington. Would you think that I am mispronouncing his name? No, no. I have heard this. Same thing, but no, I would not have thought no, that. No, that is. It is a mispronunciation. His name is Denzel. What? This whole time. Is, yeah. His name is Denzel Washington, but he is a junior. He is Denzel Washington Jr. So apparently his mom used to say things like, hey, Denzel, come here. And both him and his dad would go there. And so instead of going, we're just going to call you junior or anything like that or DJ or any of that stuff, his mom just went, I'm going to call you Denzel. Your dad is Denzel. Okay. Huh. 
Okay. And that's where it came from. Hmm. Wow. That part I didn't know. I thought it was just one of those, like, everybody had just been mispronouncing it and he just never said anything. (laughs) So, okay. His mom changed the pronunciation for him. So, I found that out today. Hmm. But it's to the point where, you know, it's been like that his whole life. It's neither one are incorrect. But, yeah, his name is technically Denzel. Like Denzel Henry Washington Jr. Okay. Denzel. Denzel Washington. Yeah. I, ju- I literally still sounds pretty distinguished. Just found that out like an hour and a half ago. So I thought I'd bring it up. Yeah. I'm going to no. say that and someone's going to try to correct me and say, no, it's Denzel. And I'm going to go, no, it isn't. And tell them the story. No, you Justin, won't. where it's really going to be really great. Is if you do that to a white person and they say, no, it's Denzel. And you go, wait, are you telling me how to pronounce a black name? (laughs) Oh, that would be tight. And then make them feel guilty first and then tell them the story. (laughs) Yes, I'm going to set somebody up. About how there was like an African king named Denzel or just all this (laughs) bullshit. <laughs> that'd be Let's great because i know yeah, i know yeah. you good enough to where you would be able to sell it mm-hmm. i would exactly. you know me i would yeah i'm coming yeah there was a trial and he had to climb a mountain see i've already got ideas see there you go <laughs> where this could go you just start saying the plot to black panther they wouldn't know any different they would <laughs> you found a heart-shaped herb you know, yeah, all this shit. It worked. He had to fight somebody from the gorilla tribe. Yep. Yep. It worked. If they're a really gullible person, don't even correct yourself. Just leave it be. Until they bring it up later and you forget that you told them all that shit. <laughs> so. Man, don't get me started on how many people I did that to at work. Okay, let's tell a story. We haven't told the story in a while. So there's a, a, a woman that used to work with Justin and I. Um, for the sake of the conversation, this conversation, we won't, we won't name drop her or blast her or anything, but we'll just say her name was L. And me, me, Devin, and Justin were all at L's house one day, and I think in Living Color or something, something came on. Something was on. And we talked about how it's crazy that Jamie Foxx used to be a woman. And <laughs> I remember this. She was like, what do you mean? You know, Jamie Foxx used to be a woman. I don't remember which one of us said it, but one of us just arbitrarily said that. And the other two just instantly agreed and started saying examples. And all this stuff. And we just went on for like 15 minutes about how Jamie Foxx used to be a woman and everybody knows it. It's crazy that you didn't know this. And then like three or four years later, (laughs) Elle's talking to me and we're talking about some Jamie, you know, Jamie Foxx movie or something like that. She mentioned, she was like, man, I cannot believe he used to be a woman. And I look her dead in the eyes. I was like, 
the fuck are you talking about? Oh no. She's like, Jamie Foxx, he used to be a woman. I was like, where the fuck did you hear that bullshit from? Jamie Foxx never <laughs> used to be a woman. And she's like, Sterling, I heard it from you. And I was like, oh. Oh, you yeah. totally forgot that you that said that. That was a thing I said four years ago. <laughs> I had completely forgot about. That changed her whole life, and then it wasn't even true. Wow. It just makes me wonder if any if she had said that to anybody else. And, like, spread this whole rumor about it. Yeah. <laughs> Citing examples that we had given and all kinds of stuff. Well, Poor um, shame. Man, that was, that, that, that was pretty bad, but... Do you remember the steak smoothie debacle? Do you remember that? Um, we won't name this person either. Uh, with V, yeah, v. yeah, <laughs> we'll yeah. Call, yeah. yeah, yeah we'll call her V. Smoothie. But yeah, so for Heather and other listeners who don't know, so a similar story to that. Uh, one day at work, this is back when we all worked at the theater, and so I was going on and on about how Smoothie King has this new smoothie called the liquid steak. And basically they chop up steak and mix it in with the smoothie and everything. And at the time, I think the Atkins diet was real big. So I was saying all this stuff like, oh, it's Atkins approved and it's some sort of meat that goes well with the smoothie and everything like that. And I was just, it was just total BS, right? And I'm telling this long story. I went on for like 15 or 20 minutes about this steak smoothie. Didn't think anything of it. And kind of similar to what Sterling is talking about, like three months later, this uh, this girl that works there, she walks in and she's angry. Like she is like, I'm talking pissed off. It's like she makes a beeline toward me right when she comes into work. And I'm like, what is she so upset about? Because I mean, she was really walking with purpose, right? And she comes up to me and she goes, I was so embarrassed. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, I went to Smoothie King. I tried to order the steak smoothie and everybody just looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, oh, no, you did what? She said, yes, I ordered the steak smoothie and they all just stopped working and looked at me. And there was this long, awkward pause. And then somebody was like, ma'am, we don't have a steak smoothie. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. And she said, I was so embarrassed. And I'm not going to lie. That's like the funniest things ever. Like that's amazing. That happened at that place. I know. So, yeah, thought I I'd share Devin that one. And I once convinced my sisters that zombies were real. And we used the, the book, The Zombie Survival Guide by Max Brooks. <laughs> and I was like, no, it's. And like, you know, if you read the Ford, it's like a disease. They they talk about how the disease, how it's like the stages of it. And Max Brooks bases his version of zombieism off rabies. So the, the cycle of the rabies virus is practically the same as the zombie virus and all this stuff. And we convince him. We're like, look, you need to read this book because it's 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 already started. You need to be prepared. And so. Later that night, she's talking to my dad and showing him the book. Oh, no. And my dad looks at the book. And if you look at the back of the book next to the barcode, it says comedy. <laughs> like it says a like comedy slash satire, you know? And my dad's just like, look at the back of the book. And so she's looking at it 
and she's looking at it and she's like, and you know, like my dad walks away cause he's just like, fuck, my daughter is dumb. And <laughs> you know, she's looking at it and looking at it and she comes to me and she's like, dad told me to look at the back of this book. And I look at it and I see automatically what he's talking about. And she's like, what is he talking about? I'm like, I think he just wanted you to read the back of the book so you would get the plot synopsis so you knew what you were getting into with this book. Oh, she was like, no. oh, okay. And for like a month at least, we had her believe in zombies were real. Oh my God. Until I think it was something where once again she came up to me when I wasn't paying attention and said something about how one of her friends said it wasn't real. And my cat is on my mixer. Get down. <laughs> and. Wasn't paying attention. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Zombies aren't real. She's like, you and Devin said they were in the book. I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah, I did say that. Like, my my bad. (laughs) Yeah. She's the one of us that went and graduated college. Like, that's the sad thing about us as a country. She's the one that graduated college. (laughs) Only one of us to do so. And I had her believe in zombies were real for a month. And it wasn't like she was young. This wasn't when she was like, you know, like eight or nine. She was in fucking high school. She was a sophomore in high school when we did that. Oh, man. See, I thought she was younger than that. Oh, man. No. If it was, if she was like 10 or something like that, it'd be just like a funny, cute story. Yeah, she'd get a pass for that. And not yeah. kind of sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she was all in honors classes and all that shit. Got a degree in that finance. Man. man, no wonder our economy's all fucked up. That's what finance majors believe. <laughs> shit like that. <laughs> anyway, let's play our music. Nobody knows anything but you. All right. Are you ready? Yes. Come on. Cinema Slayers. Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. Today, we are talking about what we like, didn't like, and everything in between with the new HBO Max series, Peacemaker. Uh, we will go spoiler-free recommendations and scores, and then into a more spoiler-centric section. So, uh, Heather, start us off. Well, um, I I really liked the show a lot more than I expected to because going into seeing the Suicide Squad, Peacemaker was definitely not my favorite character um just because of you know how suicide squad ended he wasn't my favorite but i mean if they were going to make a whole show on him i knew it was going to be somewhat interesting um and i was curious to see what they're going to do with it and i'm really glad that i stuck it out and watched it and i think that it actually really um you get to see a lot of character development and a lot of depth out of this but not only that it's just fun it's just a really fun show like i don't know it just every episode 
of course, starting with the opening number, of course, was always amazing. And just like, especially the first time you see that and you're just like, what is John Cena doing? Like, (laughs) what is this dance that he's doing? Like, what is going on here? And you see all the other characters come out and just start like doing dance moves. It was so good. Um, And it's kind of a cool introduction into who's going to be in this show, too. But um, yeah, I I just I thought it was really well done. Great action. Just it was a fun, really good action adventure show. Um, It's dark. um, It's heavy. It's got a lot of. You know, there's something you're going to dislike about every character in it, but that's kind of the fun of it and kind of the cool thing about it, I think, too. So, yeah, it was just a really excellent show. Like, it's easily binge-worthy, for sure. So, that's, yeah, that's my first takeaway from it, for sure. Justin, what about you? Yeah, I can agree with a lot of that. This is, this was pretty tight, man. I I really enjoyed this. Um, I think that... At this point, it's just fair to say that James Gunn just has a magic touch when it comes to some of these kind of obscure characters or characters that may not be that well known or whatever the case may be. And he can just find a way to put all these things together and just make magic with them. And I mean, if you enjoyed the the Suicide Squad, not that first one, we don't want to talk about that one. But the the James Gunn, the Suicide Squad movie, of course, this is just um, coming off of this is coming right off of that. This is based on what happens to this character after that story. But if you enjoyed that movie, really, this is more of the same. So expect the same kind of comedy. It's still got the same kind of blood and the the gore that was similar to that. It's still going to have the misfit characters and, um, you know, characters that don't seem like they have a lot of redeeming qualities, but then you get to meet them, you get to know them, and then you can kind of understand each character's story as it goes through. So it, it really had that same kind of flow as that. I think if you like Guardians of the Gallery, Gallery, Guardians of the Galaxy, um, which was also directed by James Gunn, like it's the same kind of feel. So it moves at a very brisk pace. It's funny. Every episode was interesting. It's an easy rewatch as well. I went back and uh, rewatched it before we did this podcast. And I was like, man, eight episodes. Do I really want to watch all of these again? And man, like you get to watching it. And that first one goes, and then it was just like a breeze. Like, it's so easy to watch. And I think that's one of the biggest strengths of the show. You know, not only is that opener unskippable and, you know, it's like fun and engaging and everything like that, but that really is kind of a microcosm for what this show is. It it grabs you right away. It's fun. The characters are interesting all in their own way, kind of like how they were all dancing in interesting ways in the intro And that's kind of how the show is. You know, every character grabs you. They do their little dance, you know, and James Gunn is doing a proverbial dance, developing all these characters, building up this story. And I mean, it was just a lot of fun. Dare I say it is probably now one of the best comic book 
um, live action TV series that we've gotten. I think I think it definitely has to be in conver- in the conversation as one of the best ones. I think there's a lot of um, not only just surface level stuff like the acting and the 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 places that we were, the cinematography, everything like that. All of that stuff is on point. It definitely has a distinct look, but even beyond that, just the the stories, the the messages that it has, the the character arcs of these characters are interesting arcs. And where they arrive by the end of the series, I was very satisfied with how it ends and everything as well. So, um, and it does it have those familiar comic book beats? Yes, it does. But it never felt like it was giving you just the same thing that you see all the time. He, James Gunn just had a way of twisting the story or giving you something a little bit different or something not happening the way that you expected it to happen. I didn't predict a lot of what was going to happen. Even if I was like, okay, well, somebody's probably this, or this might happen. Even if I kind of had an expectation for something to happen, it didn't happen the way that I thought it would, or it happened in such an entertaining way. I didn't care that I predicted it or saw it coming a little bit or anything like that. So yeah, man, uh, hats off to James Gunn and John Cena, man, man, that's the last thing I'll say. Chef's kiss to John Cena, man. Like I remember us having a conversation about John Cena and saying that we thought that he's not the rock right now, but we definitely thought he had the potential to be a, a big star that he had, that he could act on that level. He just needed the right vehicle. He just needs the right roles that fit him. And when, and, and I know we were kind of complaining about a movie that he was in and we were saying, you know, you don't, you need to have a fun John Cena, um, the fast and the furious movie. And we were like, that wasn't fun. John Cena. We need the fun mm-hmm. John Cena when he can really, uh, you know, stretch his eagle wings per se, kind of like his pet eagly in this and really just do what John Cena does. And that's be fun and engage it and give you uh, the comedy. Like only he can, he was going to flourish. He was going to soar. You know, we all knew that I think in a way we had a conversation about that. And this is exactly what John Cena needed. I mean, he was the superstar in this and he had a lot of good supporting cast members. He had, there were a lot of good actors in this that have great performances, but John Cena killed it, man. He really killed it. And he really led this thing. The only one that kind of gave him a run for his money was vigilante who, which might be my favorite character, but John Cena was the man in this. And I can't wait to see what else he does in his career because of this. To me, this was like his star turn. This is probably the best role that he has done uh, thus far in cinema, I believe. No, you're absolutely right with that, Justin. I mean, like you watch this and he's got impeccable emotional range in this movie. Yeah. He's, you know, he goes all over the place in this movie. And I mean, I know The Rock is like the biggest star in the world right now. But as far as acting goes, I think that this shows that John Cena's got better acting chops than The Rock. Yeah. He was great. Yeah. You know, I mean, those scenes when he just sits there and he just breaks 
down crying. You know? Yeah. Just or just any scene when he's sitting there with his dad, you know, no matter what you feel, just a weight on him by the way he presents himself, just his body movements, his tone, you know, his hesitance and saying stuff. You feel a weight on him and you see it like you see it in everything he does. And just, I want to say it's the third episode when he just sits there and he gets on his bed and he's just sitting there and he just breaks the fuck down crying. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, I love the rock. We love the rock here at cinema slayers. You're never going to see the rock do that in a movie. Yeah. You know, like John Cena, like, I think that this is, I think this almost solidifies James Gunn as one of our, the best modern day storytellers out there. Yeah. He takes people you don't give a fuck about. He takes people you fucking hate because Peacemaker was a fun character until the last act of Suicide Squad. Yeah. You fucking hate him. Exactly. Yeah. You despise him at the end of that movie. And you root for him throughout this series. Like you might be a little hesitant in the, the first few episodes. Cause you still like, you're like, no, he's still a dick bag, whatever. But just like his team in this mo- this show, as they turn and they soften towards him and they understand him more and they accept him more. So do you. And this show does such an amazing job at you turn with the other characters in the show. Like you turn with them. And it's amazing that like this show is so good. At, at the way it paces its story and it paces its character development that you're going through the same motions that the characters are in regards to your feelings towards uh, Peacemaker. Yeah. You know, and it's fucking fantastic with that. I mean, I will say as a character, like you might be right, Justin, that, that man, that vigilante, woo, he kind of outshines this. He does. Yeah. But the fact that you took a show and you based it around a a despised character from a fucking movie. And on top of that, you put John Cena as your as your main, your lead for this show. He's never led a show. He's never really led a movie. Yeah. He's never been the lead, really anything. Outside of wrestling. Don't get me wrong. He carried the WWE on his shoulders for a decade. But yeah, <laughs> but it's still, this is different. This is different. And he did not buckle one bit under the weight of having a show. Now, yeah. is it a streaming only show? Sure. But he, he was there. I mean, every second, like you just watch this show and it's like everything. It's like him and James Gunn had the same fucking brain in this. It felt like, like, Everything James Gunn wanted the Peacemaker to be, what he wanted the show to show, what he wanted this whole thing to be envisioned. Because James Gunn wrote every episode. He didn't direct all of them. He directed a lot of them, but he wrote every single one. I mean, John Cena delivers every single fucking time. Every fucking time. And on top of that, 
sick ass fucking intro. Like with all the dance moves and everything <laughs> like that. Like, man, they fucking went. And on top of that, I don't know if John Cena could play the piano before this, but you mm-hmm. you get to see him play the piano. And they didn't do that shit where they cut away to where you could see yeah. it looks like he is, but it's not him playing. No, he fucking played it. He put in the work for this role. He really did. I mean, yeah. And what you said about him, I'm glad you brought up the fact that he led the WWE for a decade. And I mean, which is a huge responsibility in that company, in that kind of wrestling world. But maybe this shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, dare I say, I mean, maybe he was kind of made for this man. Maybe he just understands, you know, it's the work. He understood the work that he had to put in to do that was crazy. And then coming to this, like you said, it's a completely different animal. I'm not saying that, oh, just because he was the lead WWE guy for a decade, that means he's like, he can be the best actor. But it's those intangibles, man. It's that work ethic. It's I would do whatever I have to do to to understand this, to get this, to make sure I have the emotional range that this needs. And what you said about him versus the rock comparison, I think that that's, you're totally right. The range that he showed in this, I can't lie. Rocky, I love you, man. I buy all your stuff, man. I got, I, I bought a, a, a Project Rock shirt the other day. But man, I love you, man. But I haven't seen him show that kind of range. I haven't. I, mean, I haven't. I'm not rock- saying he's incapable of it, but we haven't seen that from him. But that, that's not the brand he goes for either, though. The Rock yeah. doesn't go for these roles. Um, but that's why, I mean, like I said, the rock may be the biggest star in the world right now, but as far as former wrestlers acting, you kind of got to give it to Dave Batista and John Cena. They go out there and do shit. They go out there and act. Rocky makes movies, man. Dwayne, the rock Johnson makes movies. The other two kind of go out and act. You know, good point. And there's a difference. And, and that, that, like that's I said, a yeah, good for point. sure. No hate on The Rock for doing that. I love me some Rock. I'm going to go see whatever movie he does. I'm probably going to like smart. it. Like, he's smart, man. You know, there's yeah. something to be said for knowing your strengths right. and weaknesses. Yeah. You know what I mean? And maybe sure. that's what it is. He's, nev- he's not going to do a role that would exploit him. He's going to make sure it's a role that he's comfortable doing. And that's. Kind of the reason why he's so successful, man. He picks things that he's strong at, whether it's talk, whether it's his workout stuff and, you know, the the iron paradise and all of that stuff or his energy drink and all the Samoan kind of stuff that he talks about with his energy drink, like everything that he picks to do. It's something that he's strong at his Super Bowl introduction, which was pretty high. You know, he's. He he yeah. has a football background. Like he only picks things. You can just tell that his strategy is okay. Am I going to be strong at this? You know, he understands where his strengths are. So you got to give him that. But yeah, you're right on the acting though. Just the pure acting skill, man. This was some awesome stuff from John Cena. Like it really was. I mean, 
it's watching this. It it truly makes me mad when big A list wrestlers can't be better, like can't make better movies. Because what is wrestling other than acting? Yeah, I mean, and doing stunts. Like you're a stunt performer that also acts. And I don't mean that in any sort of derogatory way because, I mean, they put their bodies out there. It is what it is. But they, they, they act like you're playing a character in the ring. You're playing a character on the show. Why aren't they better actors when they fucking go do a movie? It's not even live. Why are they better live than they are in a, with a fucking script and able to take multiple takes? Like. That's a good question. I think, Sue, too, some of it is how Hollywood sees them. I think that sometimes the roles. That's fair. Oh, it's just a wrestler. They're they're playing a soldier or a criminal. Mm -hmm. Or Or something. Or a serial killer. What does this big jacked up dude look like he can play? You know what I mean? And then there's so much. And I bet there's a lot of hand-holding, too. Oh, he's a wrestler, or he or she is a wrestler. So we're going to have to hand-hold them. We're going to have to tell them exactly what to say. We're going to have to, I don't know. I think there were a lot of preconceived notions, probably, initially, about what they could do and what they're capable of. And John Cena, The Rock, Batista, they're changing that narrative. Because this is far from what we got with Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper and guys like that when they did movies and everybody was just yelling and flexing. This is a far cry from that. They're changing the narrative. Oh, yeah. And it's it's great, too, because, like, you know, I love I love Dave Bautista's, you know, his, you know, motivations with acting and stuff like that. He he wants to distance himself as much as he can from wrestling with it. You know, because like he's been approached to play wrestlers in movies. And he's like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. He did play mm-hmm. a wrestler on a show on HBO called like Room 104. And Room 104 is like an anthology series where every episode is different, but it always takes place in the same hotel room. So it's about a different guest in a hotel room. And in one of those, he does play like a former wrestler in one of those. But it's very much more of akin to something like a, the movie, the wrestler, you know, where it's not like, Oh, you're, Oh, go play a wrestler and be over the top. No, it's like, you know, the trials and tribulations he's worn out, you know, like some real serious shit, you mm. know? And so he agreed to do that take on it because he wants to act like, and that's his thing he's, he's like, no, I want to act. I want to do things like, yeah, he did play a big silent muscle bound thug in one of the James Bond movies. With Daniel Craig. But, you know, even then when you look at Drax, and Drax in the comics, well, traditionally was a lot more serious and a lot more stoic. I love what Dave Bautista's done and added some comedy to it and all this other stuff. Yeah, yeah, he's a big muscle-bound motherfucker, but Drax is the heart and soul of that at times, you know? Like, it's, it's kind of funny when you're sitting there and you've got all these other actors and all this other stuff. And Dave Batista is your comic relief. And he nails it every time. He every does not time. miss it. Yeah. 
I mean, there are still fucking memes going on from him doing the whole, uh, you know, you like, oh, I'm not here. I'm invisible. Like people still be doing that shit from his Drax and stuff. But like, honestly, with this, like you have to put John Cena in that conversation now. And like, I watched an interview of him. He was talking to somebody and they were talking about like his, like his growth in acting, you know, from back when he did the Marine to now. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about when he did the Marine, Vince McMahon came up to him and was like, Hey, WWE studios, we're doing this movie. We need you to go do this movie that starts filming in two weeks. We need you to go do that because that'll make you more popular, which means that'll sell more tickets to WWE events. And, and then he was talking about how like, Oh, we need you to promote this energy drink and then go do a match because that'll help sell this energy drink. And he's like, and he's like, I learned a little too late. That's not how you should approach it. You go do a match because you want to go do a match. You know, you want to wrestle. That's why you do a match. You go do a movie because you want to do a movie. And he said after a little bit of time, he was able to sit there and be in movies, start being in more movies and devote his time to just being in a movie and not to promote something else. Not to be a cross promotion. And that's when he's like, he just started taking it more seriously because he realized he could have more fun. He could do different things. It wasn't just a work. It wasn't him just being the, you know, essentially a living product placement. Mm. And he said, once that started happening, he started having fun with it. And then his specific thing was, then that's when you start seeing my ass on a television show, like literally meaning his ass. Um, <laughs> And it's, and that's fair. I completely get that. And that could be going back to what we were talking about earlier about why some wrestlers have problems with it when it comes to acting their product placement. Yeah. The WWE's Randy Orton or WWE's, uh, the Miz is in the Marine nine or whatever the fuck that was like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's always the WWE's this in this. Yep. It is. That that is such a great point. They are product placement in a lot of those movies. So how could you take it seriously? And if the boss is coming up to you saying, hey, you need to do this real quick and, you know, in two weeks, you know, go ahead and fly over there and do this real quick because it's going to help us over here. You know, that's not even the way you should even approach well, I'm not saying it, maybe it was the way to approach it for that, because like you said, it's product placement. But now being apart from that and trying to act, yeah, you totally couldn't approach it with that mindset, you know? And how could you take it as seriously as you need to take it if you understand that that is why you were there, you know? Yeah. And now he's acting because he wants to. And you see it. Like I said, like, I cannot stress enough how impressed I was with John Cena in this show. Just honestly, I can't stress how impressed I was just with the show in general. I mean, it does some of the craziest comic book bullshit stuff you'll see in a show. And it just goes back to what we've talked about so many times with James Gunn. This fucker just knows what the hell he's doing. 
he knows what he's doing with this. And I mean, I'm like, he took easily one of the most hated comic book characters of 2021 from a movie. And he dedicated a show to him. And not only that, a damn good show. I mean, I want to see all these characters do it now. I want to see a rat catcher show. I want to see a polka dot man prequel show. I want James Gunn <laughs> yeah. to fucking pr- do all these characters now. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, the, just the level at which he's able to make you flip on Peacemaker is astounding. It really is like if Marvel wants to do some crazy shit, have James Gunn direct you a fucking Thanos prequel series. They'll make you fucking heartbroken for Thanos. Yep. <laughs> Before this shit. You know, like, I'm kind of scared at, at the level at which he's able to flip your fucking opinions on characters. Like, there's certain people I'm, like, scared I don't want him to ever direct a movie about. Because I'm like, I don't want you making me feel bad for this person. Right. Like, it's fine with Peacemaker because he's a made-up character. But, like, a little bit of trivia, too. Um, Can either one of you name uh, another comic book character that's been in movies and TV shows that was technically based on Peacemaker? Mm. Justin knows who it is, too. He's going to kick himself if he doesn't guess it. He kind of reminds me of Judge Dredd. No, that's a good guess, but no. Think still in DC. Damn, that wasn't it. DC. I feel like it's someone I probably don't. You know. probably don't know this, Brendan Heather. Okay, that sounds right. <laughs> Man, I'm trying to think. Man, that was my best guess. Like, ugh. all right, this like I said, you're gonna kick yourself, Justin. Uh, the Watchman's comedian is based on Peacemaker. Oh shit! Okay, okay. That's why that line. Uh, that's why they actually did that line in Suicide Squad when uh, Rick Flag when he's dying says Peacemaker. What a joke! Ah, that's a callback to the he's like it's all a joke. Yep, it's all a joke. Damn. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's because when Grant or when Alan Moore was going to write uh, the uh, the Watchmen, he wanted to use a lot of those characters because Peacemaker wasn't originally a DC character. He was some other company. And like the Enigma was one of them. Like, and, and Alan Moore wanted to use those characters for Watchmen. And DC was like, had just bought them. It was like, no, you can't do that. That's why they did a lot of characters that are just based on those characters. And so the comedian was based on old uh, Peacemaker. The whole idea of mm. doing whatever, like whatever it takes for uh, peace at any cost. And, you know, he's the comedian and he's just a senseless war criminal murderer. <laughs> I think the, the, the best thing about that line that Rick flag says about, you know, what a joke that is completely the thing that haunts Peacemaker throughout this whole show. Like he's always going back to like, you know, flashbacks of that and those last words that he said to him. And it's really just kind of this driving factor of like, 
him actually considering and thinking about like what kind of person or hero he is. And so that's what I think is really cool about that line in general. Like they used something like that to create this whole catalyst of self-crisis that he's having internally. And I think that's really cool. Oh, yeah. And I loved it. Like the only two things that they really call back to is, I mean, like a little bit early on in the series, but like the main things they call back to like plot wise, it's when he's sitting there with his dad and he's telling the, the, the story of blood sport being tortured by rats and how they're both laughing at that. And I thought that that was great because yeah, Peacemaker did think it was funny, but it just showed like his dad's reaction to it showed how, how ingrained his dad was in, in him without him being his dad. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. it's, you know, and, and those aspects of like the nature versus nurture argument and all that stuff. And then we'll get more into spoilers, but, uh, and then the, the whole thing is that that Rick flag flashback, they legitimately, and I love the fact that they actually played it. They actually used the scene a couple of times. And I thought that was fantastic because they always did it at the right times. And like Heather said, it showed how haunting that is to him. Yeah. You know, they didn't matrix it up. They did it right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I loved it too, because we hated peacemaker because he did that. And then, and that's one of the turning factors is you find out he hates himself because he did it too. You know? And so it just, there's so many layers in this. Uh, we've been going for a while. And we probably are dangerously damn close to spoilers. Uh, recommendations and scores? Yep. Yep. Recommendations and score. Uh, Justin, go. Yeah, we're going to recommend it. I don't, I don't think um, any more needs to be said about it. I mean, as far as non-spoiler stuff, I mean, it's we all like this. It, it's very enjoyable. It's got a catchy opening. The soundtrack, which we haven't talked much about, is good, too. Man, there are so many, like, montages done to, to music and this and scenes done with music that just seem to go perfectly with um what's going on. I really loved that. I won't say what happens in the scene, but that scene, the you're my favorite monster. I've never heard that song before, but man, that montage and everything that happens with the butterflies and everything like that during that scene. I love that montage. I loved that scene. But yeah, like, I mean, just. All of so all that kind of cool stuff artistically is going on in this. And like we said, it's got excellent acting performances, some that you didn't even see coming. It's hilarious and funny throughout, and it has a satisfying ending. So yeah, this is like I said, this is one of the top live action comic book series that we've gotten um thus far. So yeah, it's really good. So we're gonna go with uh we're going to go with 95 merman emojis when you probably shouldn't send them uh, out of 100. Uh, Heather, what about you? Yeah, I do recommend it, um, especially for the people who like hated Peacemaker because of how the Suicide Squad ended. 
I was talking to a friend about this show saying like how good it is. And she's like, see, I haven't watched it because I hated him <laughs> in the movie. So I was like, yeah, no, me too. But it's it, it just the character development and just kind of like what you said, Sterling, about how quickly, you know, he was able to make you care about and like a character that you have no right to really like <laughs> for a lot of reasons. I think that's really excellent storytelling and character uh, development. So, yeah, and it, it has a lot of great action sequences. I was thinking also about how great the music is. Like most of it's just this really like sort of 80s style, like rock music. But whatever it is they do, they always find the exact perfect song to do for a scene or a montage or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, they they did a really great job of picking um awesome songs for the soundtrack and i i also have to agree vigilante like <laughs> i did not see that coming that was like out of nowhere how much i liked that character and it's it's just funny because uh freddie stroma is the guy who plays him you know i've seen him in very few things but the only thing i can think of is like him from pitch perfect he was like the radio dj booth manager guy in that and that's the only thing I can think of when I see him until this and I was like man he is so talented and it's a waste that he hasn't done more like at least that I've seen he's so good like he's so funny excellent comedic timing like everything he does is so good he's also a really good dancer in real life too but you know he he was so like he stole the show which is really hard to do next to John Cena as Peacemaker. So, yeah. And then I, I honestly love the character dynamics between everybody. Like, everybody brought something different in their own thing, but they just all gelled so well together as a team. And that was one of the best parts about it. So, yeah, I really, I really liked this show a lot. It was so much fun. Um, really an easy watch and easily something you could binge multiple times. Um, yeah, so I definitely recommend it. I'm going to give it, mm, I'm going to go with 93, um, several uses for a metal helmet as part of your uniform out of a hundred. Yeah. And the funny thing is, especially to, uh, that the guy that played Vigilante wasn't actually the one that was originally cast uh, <laughs> as Vigilante. Uh, another guy was um, Chris Conrad was originally cast as uh, Vigilante and they actually did. They had filmed the first six episodes of it, but he wanted to leave due to like creative differences and was even talking about if they did a second season, he wouldn't want to come back and all kinds of stuff. And so James Gunn was like, all right, fine, leave. And went around and found Freddie Stroma and like brought him back in and re fucking filmed all those scenes from the first six episodes that the other wow. guy had done. Now they wow. didn't refilm the ones of, of the suit. If he was in the suit, they didn't refilm those, but they kind of had him ADR his voice over it, you know? Yeah, the voiceover part. Yeah, but yeah, all the scenes that where it shows him without the mask, yeah, they uh, reshot all of those. And that's why some of them are of him, like, 
from around a trash can far away from everybody, or he's behind a tree far away from everybody. Like little things like that, kind of keeping him separated, or even when they're in the office, he might be sitting in a seat away from the table. It's because they refilmed it with him, just him. Interesting. Uh, yeah, they kind of had him okay. filming some scenes while they were filming other ones. You totally know, totally wouldn't have even noticed that. That's oh, yeah. cool, though. James Gunn yeah. fucking put it together. You wouldn't have known. Um, I honestly can't even picture somebody else being that character now. Like, oh he yeah, was it's so totally perfect. his. <laughs> it's it's one hundred percent his. Um, but yeah, like it, it's crazy that like all that happened, and he be and he's one of the biggest surprises of the show. Like. They did so much work to get that character to be what it is. Like I said, refilming entire parts of episodes they had filmed already just to have this guy be it. And he steals, he steals it so much. It's just so fucking yeah. good. His chemistry with them is fucking impeccable. Like, yeah, it's just great. Is that true to the character in the comics? Like, I don't know anything about him. Well, okay. There's been a few different vigilantes in the comics. Uh, oddly enough, the the version he plays, which is like Adrian Chase or something like that, uh, kills himself in the comics and has never come back, which is a very rare thing in comics. Ugh. Um, but that is one of the reasons why there is the joke of when he's like, "You don't know who Vigilante is." He it could be a girl because in the comics there is a, at one point there is a female Vigilante also. Like a few different people have been <laughs> Vigilante, and there has been a woman one. So. That is part of that. Like that's a callback to the comics when he's those little things like that. Um, there are a lot of aspects of him. Like, is he punched up for comedy? Yes. Yes. He's a lot more comedic than he is in the comics. Is he a insane homicidal, like murderer like he is in the comics? Yes, that's accurate. <laughs> that's very much accurate to the character. Um, yeah, they just punched up for comedy. Kind of like Peacemaker. Peacemaker's not an inherently comic comedic character. And they add a lot of comedy to it. You know. So that it's that they blend it together. James Gunn puts his spin on it, which is the right spin cuz nobody wants to see this th- nobody would want to see this show be completely serious. If this show was completely serious, it would have sucked hard. Yeah. You for know. sure. Like the because it, it's such a great blend of seriousness and sadness and 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 humor and and thoughtfulness and heart. It blends so many emotions that it's great, and you don't want it to be serious. You know, um, there is some aspects of it because one of the things Peacemaker does do is he does talk to his helmet, and they kind of hint towards that a little bit in that. Um, in this, uh, I'll explain more in a little bit. Uh. Because in the comics, at one point, he thought the souls of the people he killed got trapped in his helmet. So he would talk to them. And he was kind of tormented by them, which is an aspect they did kind of bring into this. Is the tor- the, the torment he experiences of just being a fucking constant murderer. You know, so <laughs> they do blend some elements of it. But, uh, you know, this is very much a Jim, James, uh, a James Gunn version of it. You know, it's. And it's, but like I said, that's how you make this work. Because if you just saw this guy running around being serious and murdering people nonstop, you probably would have lasted one or two episodes and stopped giving a fuck. And you would have been like, yep, this is, of course, the John Cena we get after we watched him in Fast Nine. 
Which once again, we talked about how they wasted a John Cena in that because they had him be completely flat, completely way too serious, and not even a bad guy for being a bad guy. And then you watch this and you go, they really wasted a John Cena because they could have done so much with him. Like, how is it that a year later I'm hating Fast 9 even more? Based on a (laughs) fucking TV show. Blame it on Peacemaker. They made you just like know what he can do. Like they, I'm like, man, they wasted a John Cena. You could have had him being all emotionally angry at Dom, you know, like fighting back tears, like through anger and all kinds of stuff showing that would have elevated that movie above any other movie that they did. Or just, you know, (laughs) like anything like, I mean, he's funnier than the entire movie of, of fast nine. And, Fast and Furious movies tend to be at least somewhat funny. You got some good jokes here and there. I'm not saying they're a laugh a minute, but they got some jokes. He delivers more laughs in the first episode of this than than anything in Fast 9. And I'm like, so you're telling me we could have had some fucking jokes from John Cena in Fast 9? We could have gotten the humor and the emotions and some fucking evilness, because he does have that hint of evil in parts of this that we got from Suicide Squad. I'm like, fuck, I hate Fast 9 even more now. After seeing John Cena just tear it the fuck up. It's just fuck, man. It's like, I don't know. I uh, Yes, I recommend it. I keep fucking going. I really loved this show, and I keep forgetting... We've got segments. Um, Yes, I recommend it. I really enjoyed it. Um, I give it 95. uh, John Cena fighting a 80s rocker chick in his underwear. Out of 100. (laughs) Uh, Spoilers. Yeah. Spoilers. Oh, yeah. One thing I was going to mention. Yes. Another thing that they kind of bring from the comics with Vigilante in this is Vigilante in the comics is an incredible martial artist, but he also has some things. And I know Justin's seen this in some martial arts stuff. The whole idea that he's so in tuned with his body that he can just kind of rest a little bit and heal from wounds very quickly for it. Yeah, he has like aspects of that. Kind of do a similar thing. Yeah, without it being directly, I need to meditate type of stuff. Kind of like whenever he's been shot and stabbed and all that other stuff at the end, and he's like, "Oh, I just need a nap," and then he falls down mm-hmm. in the hospital, and you're like, "Oh fuck!" And then he just wakes up and he's completely fine and jumps out the window. That's it's that aspect of it. He just needs to uh. rest, and he's fine. You know, so they they do bring that element of it, even though it's not as intentional as it is in the comics. You know, like I said, in the intentional, he's like, I need to meditate. I need to focus and he can heal himself. And this, they kind of just play it for laughs of, Oh, I just need a nap and I'm fine. And like, that's something I didn't notice until the, the second walkthrough that aspect of it, because it does come fairly quick at the end of the show where he does fall down. And then literally the next time you see him, he's waking up from a nap. Like he says, and he just jumps out the window. Just like completely healed, you know? And I'm like, oh shit, no, he has that in this. Um, but no, with the spoilers with this stuff, uh, 
one of the things I was bringing up earlier was, uh, uh, like I said, he when he he talks to his helmet, you get a version of that in this whenever he's talking to his dad's ghost after killing his dad, because mm-hmm. in the in the scene where he uses the blow dart to kill his dad's ghost, when his dad's ghost falls over, it falls over directly where they find the helmet. So that, like I said, the whole idea of ghosts trapped in his helmet or souls trapped in his helmet, that kind of tied into that a little bit. Directly in that. Okay. You actually hear, too, when the dad falls over, you hear a metallic thunk when he would hit the ground. And then that's when Hardcore goes over there and finds the, the helmet. So it even sounds like you hear the sound of him hitting the helmet, even though he's not really there. Um. In this too, uh, his dad in the comics, I think, dies in prison. His dad in the comics wasn't like a Ku Klux Klan racist. He was a Nazi racist, like from Germany Nazi. Mm. Uh, but I, I liked how they modernized it. You know, I like his dad wasn't a supervillain in the comics, but I like how they did it in this. Like, it's very much the same type of thing of his dad was a shitty person anyway. You know, like just 1940 shitty instead of, you know, 1980 shitty as he was on this. Like, I really liked how they updated that. And I really liked the toll it played on him because like so much. And you see hints of it in, in Suicide Squad. And you see it really play out in this. He doesn't want to be an asshole. He legitimately does just want to do the right thing. You know, and it, when you when it goes back to the whole Rick Flag thing, he kills Rick Flag because he does think he's doing the right thing by stopping him and stuff like that. He, yeah, and, and and by getting the video, he does think he's doing the right thing, and I think that that's one good thing they do in this show is they kind of show that it's like a big chunk of his life really is the whole adage of the road to hell is paved with good intentions. He was a dick. He was an asshole. He was a horrible murdering son of a bitch, but he never wanted to be those things. He just literally wanted to do the right thing. And then when they do that thing and it's, it's like the funniest tragic thing I've ever seen in a show where he's the little kid and he's praying to God and he's like, I'll do anything just for peace doing that whole vow thing of I'll kill every man, woman and child for peace. And you kind of get what he's as a child, why that became so ingrained in him as an idea. Cause he accidentally killed his brother and the whole idea of, he never wanted a death to not mean anything from that point by, mm. by get, creating his vow to him that gave every death a meaning even if he didn't know what the meaning was, it gave it a meaning. And you're like, and like when they're showing those scenes and stuff like that, you're already feeling for him at this point. But like, that was the the complete, that that's what solidified the turnaround or those scenes. We really get into that stuff with it and stuff like that, that it's, he never wanted to be those things that everybody, everybody says he is. Because to him, it really, it meant something to him, you know? And, and I really loved that scene 
when they're like, oh, you say you'll kill kids, but you couldn't kill those kids. And he's like, yeah, I couldn't. <laughs> Woo. Uh, when he says, I couldn't kill those kids just because you said to. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. that's a legit argument. Just because you say to kill the kids because they're bad. That might even give a, a grizzled person a hesitation. Now, it didn't for Vigilante. and. Weirdly enough, that's an incredibly funny scene when Vigilante's like, oh, no, let me see the gun. Murders the kids. Right. Whistling. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's it's a humor scene. It's the most fucked up type of humor you can have. But, but then it's emotionally impactful for the show. You know, like I said, the whole idea that he's like, just because you said it doesn't mean it's right. And that's a valid argument, you know. And you and you really see how tortured he is with all that stuff and that weight. And when he's sitting there and he's at one point, he's like crying. He's like, I don't want to kill anymore. And then they're like, but we got to stop the butterflies. He's like, oh, no, I'll kill aliens. Like, that's fine. Like, I love yeah. how you have that distinction real quick. Like, oh, no, it's aliens. That's fucking. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go uh, kill some aliens. Know. Which. Uh, holy fuck. Was that fucking fight sequence? Going into that barn, fucking incredible. When it was hardcore vigilante and him going in. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. That was awesome. Dude. That was amazing. I mean, did it break every law of physics ever? The way he throws the shield and like shoots it and stuff like that into people. Yes. Was it not the coolest fucking thing I've seen done with a shield outside of a Captain America movie? Yes, it was. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. And I'll argue that it might be better than some Captain America stuff just because, you know, his version of it was just about murdering people. <laughs> it was fantastic. <laughs> but no, Justin, what you were talking about, that scene when whenever the Queen Butterfly leads them in to the the the, the police precinct. Man. That's a fucking great scene. Yeah. Everything about it is and- fucking fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I love that scene. That that was just so great. The music just fits it so well, and it just and like what we talked about and what Heather said earlier is every music number just seemed to be perfect for what was happening. But that one really stood out to me, and especially watching it a second time, I was like, "This is just a wonderful scene." That that just that invasion of the police precinct and all these characters running and trying to get away and them just taking them over the, all the butterflies. And, uh, and like, even before that, when all the ships land and um, what was the name of the main butterfly that was in her again? What was his name? Well, they called her Goff because she was Goff, in Senator yes. Goff. And yes. Yeah. So they just kind of named her after the first guy you see her in, but yeah, they just called her Goff. That's right. Yes, Goff. I, that's what I couldn't remember. But yeah, when when Goff calls them there and then they invade everywhere. I mean, it, it was great, man. And that music just went with everything so well. And then the way that they use slow motion, her kind of that the slow motion walk through the doors of the precinct. And then they're just all those butterflies are just surrounding her. And I, it was great. And then after that, um, because there was the thing earlier the when she was, yeah, when she was talking about how like 
how in every body that you get in, it's the smile oh, yeah. is different. That was cool too. That, that like, was right she's talking that, about that because that was right after she got taken over, but before she took everybody over. Whenever her partner's like, "Why are you acting weird? Why, what's wrong?" and all this other stuff, and she's like, "Nobody realizes that a smile is different to everybody." Mm. Yeah, and yeah. Then, and, and like so you think about it, and you're like, "Fuck, that would be true, wouldn't it?" Yeah, yeah. Because everybody's face is a little different, the muscles, all of that, and how everybody does it. Yeah, it's like a distinct thing, you know? So what was so cool was after everybody had been butterflied in the precinct, they're all walking down that hallway and all of them have these creepiest fucking smiles ever. Yes, these maniacal, creepy, literally kind of mechanical smiles because these aliens are inside them trying to smile with the different bodies. So even just that little thing that was said, it seemed like such a just matter of fact thing that Goff was saying. And then it winds up making for just an incredible scene, you know, like, and the, and, and this, and, and this show is very good at that too. It's very good at setting up. I mean, it, 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 it was like the best volleyball player. You know, like when you watch the best volleyball players in the world, they're so good at setting up and then that spike comes. And this is this show is like that, really. It's like the perfect metaphor for that because it sets things up and then, boy, does it pay off. Like, it just nails it just about every time with that. That's that's a very good point, Justin, that I think a lot of shows fail at that. They have a lot of setups and they sometimes fail at the delivery or what they set up. This show doesn't. This show succeeds every time they set something up. Yeah. And you see it in a lot of different things. Like just, I mean, there are so many examples of it. It's not even funny, even little things in this, like how Peacemaker was saying, well, you know, before I shoot anyone with these weapons or whatever, I like to have this little dove of peace on the side of my weapon or whatever. So later on, and you know, that's like a big thing for him, like this big mental thing. He's got to have his peace dove on these weapons, you know, before he kills someone or tries to administer peace or whatever. Well, you know, there there's a lot of back and forth with that. And then there was one time where he tried to draw a dove of peace. But then later on, when the team is finally kind of starting to gel and mesh together, Harcourt actually makes his dove a peace sign for one of his weapons and give it, gives it to him. And he didn't expect that they kind of have a moment. And he was like, well, normally it's on the, you know, he almost said it's normally on a different side. And then he stopped himself and realized she did something nice. This is a nice gesture. She didn't have to do this. And he's got to stop himself and goes, thank you. I'm glad that you did this. And the earlier Peacemaker probably would have just been an asshole about it. Eh, it's on the wrong side. But even just little things like that, like this show, it started with that and something just so, again, one of those things like the smile, just so matter of fact. And then, but somehow we get a big payoff and we get a good moment for these little minute details later in the story. So, and there are just so many like little examples like that that I appreciate. And you could probably just make a list four or five pages long of just things like that that occurred in the show. 
Yeah, no, that's 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 incredibly valid with a lot of the stuff that like you see those things throughout the show that where he does grow and stuff like that, like just these little moments as the show continues and stuff like that. Like, I really love the fact that he is making fun of Economos nonstop calling him die beard, giving him nonstop shit until they find out that they have like one of the favorite bands together. And then all this stuff. And then, then you find out why die beard dies his beard. And you would think that even though it's at the, the climax of the show that old peacemaker, like peacemaker from episode one would have still made a joke then. But at the end of the season, he doesn't because they are a team at that point. You know, they are yeah. a makeshift family. And so I like that you, you see those little aspects of growth throughout the season. It's never one defining moment here and there. It's just a culmination of little events as the show goes on. That just makes it work. Uh, no, I really, I, I, I really loved a lot of those little things about this show that they touch on so much with this. I like the fact that like, like Peacemaker, he gets called out for being a racist to him. He wasn't being a racist. And they're like, yeah, but you, you do realize you kill more minorities more than anyone else. And he's like, well, it's because I catch them like doing crimes. And he's like, well, did you ever stop and think that's because you just watch minorities commit crimes? And he's like, fine. I'll make a conscientious effort to not kill minorities now or to kill more white people. Uh, and I think that was a funny, good joke with that. And it really applies. Like, I really think it's funny that later on vigilante is like, oh, I kill more white people than anything. You know, like, yeah, I like how him and vigilante are very much along the same lines, except vigilante doesn't have any preconceived notions about anything. And he doesn't have as shitty of a father. So no one second guesses his motives other than the fact that he's just a homicidal maniac. (laughs) I did think that the scene with him uh, in the prison with his dad, like that was an amazing scene when he goes and he's like, talking smack to all the people in the prison and then like basically destroys them all. It was pretty great. Oh yeah. Like, and it's funny too, like that those are kind of legit arguments that people kind of have a hard time accepting when it's like, Oh yeah. Like what are your favorite black contributions to, to history? And he's like, yeah, rock and roll. Cause everything about rock and roll, which is considered such a, like nowadays the stereotypical white people music is 100% based and inspired by black culture and stolen from black culture. I shouldn't say based and inspired, no stolen, you know, and a lot of people, i.e. the same type of people that he was fighting in the prison really have a hard time accepting that. Yeah. That old timey Southern rock that they love. All its roots come from black history and black culture. And they hate, they hate that that's even a notion to other people. And he just uses that against them. And then there was that one scene too, where he's like, and he's like, Oh, what's your favorite thing? Uh, the black culture or black people have done for our, our culture. Is it all the black people your mom used to fuck while you sat in the corner jacking off? Oh, that's hilarious. That was <laughs> funny. I mean, that character just had so 
many great moments throughout this show or like when they're having the conversation and he's like, you know, if it, well, if it looks like a duck, when they're talking about John Cena being racist and he's like, well, you know, your father is. And so if it looks like a duck, you know, it's either a duck or a duck in a human costume or something like that. And then John Cena (laughs) was just like, how does that even happen? It was just anytime they had a conversation and he was annoying John Cena. I just, I, I was just laughing so much. So and then like, he, the John Cena was just like, what are you talking about, man? Like, how does that even work? A duck, a, their bodies would not, how would they disguise themselves as a human? And he was like, I don't know, man. And like, he always just has this, the weirdest responses to things. Like, he's just so funny, but also like, I liked the difference in like how he was just like, if you're bad, you just deserve to die. No matter who you are, no matter what you are, you're bad. I want uh, you, you deserve to die and I'm going to kill you. And that's kind of like how he saw everybody. Like when John is talking about his dad and he's like, well, he's a racist, right? So why don't you kill him? And to ask a son, why doesn't he kill his father? Because his father is a bad person. And then John Cena was like, but I love him. You know, he's still my family. He's my father. And you could, and when Vigilante's like, oh, and you could see him having a tough time processing that, like the hard right. time that he was having, like, he's like, but he's a racist. He's a well, bad person. So and- he deserves to die. Right. Like you could see that being hard for him to understand. Well, he also you know? has that joke later on where he is something and he's like, you know, except for me, cause I don't have human emotions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it and is he's funny telling to me the truth. Too, that's, that was another funny thing about that scene in the prison is like, the confidence in which he goes over there to them, like he kind of like knows that he's better than them because he's not racist in a sense is like what he what it felt like when he went over to them. But just essentially like you could tell his mindset is I might be a murderer, but I'm not racist. Like <laughs> you guys are terrible. Like that's pretty much the mentality he had going into that whole conversation with them. And it was just such a funny interaction. Well, I also loved that his mindset was if you commit any crime, I'm going to murder you like a very extreme punisher. <laughs> yeah. If you yeah. like whenever yeah. it's whenever it's that scene, apparently right after him and Peacemaker have sex with that one lady and they're all lying in bed and Peacemaker and that <laughs> girl that. are smoking weed. And he's like, man, I can't believe they legalized it three years ago. I would have shot both of you in the face for that. Yeah. And Peacemaker's just like, whatever, dude. Just like no remorse at all for anything. Yeah, like that's I just love that that's his mindset of, oh, you smoked weed. It's illegal. I'm going to murder you. But I like (laughs) how he doesn't have that distinction of I'm also committing crimes nonstop. Yeah. Like, that doesn't faze him. Anybody else commits a crime. They deserve to die. You know. But one of the things I really loved about this show they brought up a very good, I think, an insanely valid point about Batman. Whenever he's talking to his dad's neighbor, and his dad's neighbor is like, well, Batman has a, a cadre of supervillains and all this other stuff. And Peacemaker's like, well, you know what? You haven't heard of mine. 
I've killed all of them. And he's like, see, you're a villain because Batman doesn't kill. And Peacemaker responds to that with saying, how many deaths is Batman responsible for? Just because he chooses not to kill these villains. Because they just go to jail. They escape and they kill people. So how many more deaths happen just because Batman doesn't murder? You can argue that Batman is worse for not killing his villains. Especially like just the Joker alone kills so many people that not killing the Joker, you're electing to say so many more people. It's okay if they die, as long as I don't kill someone. I think that Peacemaker has an insanely valid point with this analysis of Batman's tactics. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, like when I first heard that scene, it was like, man, you know, it got me thinking, man, is he right about Batman? Could you make that argument? Yeah. And, and there's definitely a lot of angles to look at it. I mean, also, I think it's also very appropriate that he said that at the time, because at the time of the character arc that of this arc that we're going through, he hadn't yet arrived to the place where he was like, I don't want to kill anymore. So in a way, I think he sort of made the argument there because he hadn't arrived to the mindset to understand the value of not killing, which he hadn't arrived there yet. But so even though he did make an argument that, yes, you could validly you, you could argue that about Batman with some validity the character then kind of arrives to a similar place by the time that we get to the end where he doesn't want to kill people. So I feel like it was kind of maybe James Gunn's way of saying he was wrong about Batman. The problem is he didn't see, um, he didn't understand Batman by that time, not this peacemaker that we had at that moment, but then he sort of arrives to a similar place. And then you got to think about, okay, if Batman did just kill all these fools, that's true. But then what does Batman become? You know, what does that do to him? How does that ruin him? Does he become the the whole, the the very thing that he's fighting? You know, yeah. the whole adage that Batman has though, is if you kill somebody, there's just one more murderer in the world. And I'm like, no, technically there's not. It's technically a net gain. Because you just killed a murderer. <laughs> Therefore, there's still one less murderer. You just fill that hole. But then if you kill two people, you're still down two murderers because you're the same murderer. So you just got to kill more than one to get the number back below zero. So that man's <laughs> adage and math at that is very terrible. But I almost disagree because I think Peacemaker at the end of the show still would kill somebody like the Joker. And it's the same reason why he was willing to kill Goff or shoot golf or at least stop golf even though golf's plan might have saved more lives or it still would have been killing people it might have technically saved more lives they, you would argue that they would technically be butterflies and not people you know like so golf killing them to just save more people even if humanity kills us. i don't know maybe you are right 
Oh, that gets tricky. That's a very perplexing thing at the end because you kill a butterfly to stop butterflies from killing people because they want to stop people from killing themselves. But in doing so, you allow people to kill themselves. So you would technically still have a bunch of people deaths either way. Hmm. Ooh, that's perplexing. Yeah. And see, the way I interpret it is, is that, yeah, by the time you get to the end of it and that whole reveal with Goff and he's telling Mm -hmm. him, you know, humans are going to kill themselves anyway. They're going to destroy themselves anyway. So if you do this, if you let us do this, this will bring about peace or a better peace because then, you know, humanity won't be on the track that they're already on of killing people. And then you go back to that Batman argument. It's, 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 it's kind of similar, you know, just kill the, the things now. And then that will ultimately make things better later, but that's not necessarily true. You know what I I mean? mean? I don't know if Batman just killed the Joker. I think he'd save a lot of lives. And he'd scare a lot of the other villains because they go, oh, fuck, Batman kills now. We ain't doing this shit no more. We used to do it because Batman wouldn't kill us, but he kills now. Maybe he would reform more if he just killed the Joker. Just the Joker. You could be right. But I also see the scenario where like he does that. And then it's like, what does he become, though? Like, what does that do to him? You know, do you, you know, once you do that first one, it's like, I'm, I mean, what kind of Batman do we get if he does that? If he crosses that line, like, well, I mean, do we even have a Batman that, anymore? Like, Batman hasn't killed people before. Because Batman totally is. Yeah, I was about before. to say, you know, like when you look at some of these movies and stuff, well, I mean, he's movies, totally old comics people. too. Uh, KG Beast in one of the comics. Batman, like they're fighting in a sewer or something, and there's like a, a a a metal room or whatever. It's all underground and shit. Batman locks him in that room and walks away. Just to <laughs> assume the guy dies. There's another character that's kind of like a and this is a really old Batman comic where he's kind of like a mentally challenged, big, scary, strong man. And Batman just hangs him from the Batcopter and flies away with the guy hanging there. Like choking <laughs> death. I mean, talking about how it's like putting him out of his misery. Batman has fucking totally killed people before. It's insane. Uh, yeah. Then if you look at the movies, he's a homicidal maniac in the movies. I mean, one of my favorite ones is in the fucking Tim Burton ones in Batman Returns when he's fighting the clown army of the penguin, where one of them he takes a bomb, puts it on the guy, and then throws him down in the sewer for you to see it explode. I'm like, Batman just straight blasted that man yeah yeah like the movies are probably not the greatest representation of they're really but you know but you know like the more modern batman that's supposed to be a part of the credo and the idea is is that if he does that may does he become the very monsters that he's trying to stop And then there's the whole argument about, well, what is really justice? Is justice just killing these people or is justice, you know, taking them through the system? Is justice an eye for an eye? You know, then you've got the whole argument about justice. But I honestly think that 
the reason why Peacemaker made that argument is because he didn't arrive to the point to where he understood why Batman does it. But I think by the end of this, it it sort of kind of justifies the Batman argument. Like, this is why you can't do that because the ends don't always justify the means, you know? I I get what you're saying though, Justin, but can you really ever say with the criminal justice, justice system in Gotham, the way it is that these people go to prison in the same place. It's not even a prison. It's a prisonized menstrual institution that has a track record of them just escaping every other day. Is that like, even if you're like, Oh, we have to put them through the system. That's justice. Would you argue in Gotham that that would still be justice? Cause they're not in Arkham for more than four days at a time. I, mean, I know. And then they're just, Joker just got done killing 27 babies. Let's throw him in Arkham. Fuck. He's out four days later, but at least we got the justice we were looking for. I mean, maybe, ja- maybe Batman does need to look at what his definition of justice is. Cause he's not, I don't think he's getting it unless he's just, but is it his Oh, go ahead. Unless Sorry. he's just extremely linear, like, like has extreme leniency when it comes to prison, like term length. Like he's like four days served his time. Valid. <laughs> or maybe is it Batman's fault or is it whoever is supposed to be rehabilitating these people at Arkham? It, it'd be funny if there's some like new villain that they create that is like the lead shareholder president something of Arkham and you find out this whole time that the plan was never to rehabilitate these people that like somehow the money that he makes is the money that is made from having inmates means that he profits more when they're imprisoned in Arkham so you find out that like there's this whole big plot to like like they haven't really been rehabilitating at all and that might explain like some of these things, it would be kind of, you almost need that person. Cause what are they doing at Arkham? What are they doing? How come well, nobody ever gets rehabilitated? See, and that's the other side of it though, Justin, you could argue that Batman is still complicit in that system. Even if he's like, yeah, we're going to do what we got to do and send them to where they need to go. But he's just complicit in constantly knowing they're just going to go to Arkham and get the fuck back out and do it again. Cause it's not like yeah. it hasn't happened. 90,000 times. Yeah, he needs to contribute some of those bat bucks, the bat money to uh buy him a better like fucking fence or something. Like Yeah, like as some different programs or something, man, you know, start a team over there so some of them can play basketball or something. Come on, Bruce. You got to, you know, you got to be going to see he needs to Batman puts him in there, but it needs to be Bruce going in there, like trying to make Arkham better. Why man. doesn't Bruce buy Arkham? And then, yeah, like make like fucking Dick Grayson the warden. <laughs> I know, right? Nobody That's what you escaping if Nightwing guarding the place. <laughs> yep. If Nightwing is guarding the place. Yeah. Ain't nobody getting out of there. Yeah. Good point. I'm just saying, <laughs> I think Batman is irresponsible. Um, I, and I, I, I did like his point. One thing I did like in this too, uh, this show made Batmite in DCEU continuity. Because they bring up Batmite and he's like, yeah, it's a fourth dimensional imp. That's a huge Batman stand. I'm like, oh. I did not know about that character. You don't know Batmite? 
Nuh-uh. Little cartoon I, I I, I was... imp looking Batman guy? Uh-uh. He's mix you have he's to look he's, him up. He's Batman's Mixapitalic. So Mixapitalic is a fourth dimensional being who, you know, is a big fan of Superman. Batmite is from the same dimension, but he's a huge Batman stan. So he dresses up like a little cartoon little kid Batman. You've never seen Batmite in anything? No, I have not. Yeah. Or maybe if I saw him on a shirt or saw him on something and maybe I didn't know who it was. Maybe I just thought, okay. Maybe I just thought, oh, look at this interesting artist rendition of Batman and didn't even realize it was like a character character or something. I wonder. No, Batmite, man, no, he's super famous, man. And he's in continuity now. I think that's fantastic. Um, we might as well talk about this too because we haven't talked about it. Uh, that crazy, insane cameo that happens at the end of this show. Yep. With the yeah, Justice League showing cool. up now, they couldn't get Henry Cavill because he is out of contract, so they just put a silhouette of him. You know, Gal Gadot isn't going to show up for this, so they just silhouetted Wonder Woman. But <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, what's his name? Jason Momoa and uh, Ezra Miller both show up. Um, they didn't film their scenes together. Uh, interestingly enough, you can actually thank Marvel for. Ezra Miller being in this. Um, they filmed the the Aquaman scenes before, but while James Gunn was shooting Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is when Ezra Miller had time to do it. And he went to Marvel and was like, hey, can we shoot this real quick? While like while like they're filming Guardians, and they were like, Yeah. So Ezra Miller went to the Guardians of the Galaxy 3 set, put on the Flash costume. And they filmed his part of it real quick. That's tight. Yeah, that's cool I think that's story. really legit on Marvel's part to let him do it. Because if you want to keep anybody happy right now, Marvel, you got to keep James Gunn happy. You already pissed the guy off once and he went and did Suicide Squad and made you look dumb. So you went ahead and instantly brought him back. So, yeah, you got to keep James Gunn happy. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And that was fucking funny, dude. I'm not going to lie. It's kind of hilarious. And it's kind of good on DC to allow their their Aquaman, who is going to be in a movie later this year, appear in this, and then also say fuck. Yeah, their interaction on that was really funny. Yeah, like one of the few properties DC has going right now is Aquaman. And they allowed them to seriously make fun of him in this. And I thought, yeah. that, and I thought that was hilarious. Go fuck a fish. I mean, I'm sick and tired of this rumor. It's not mm-hmm. a rumor. Fuck you, Barry. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. And see, like even that had a payoff. Like, why did everything in this just have a payoff? Everything. Yeah. It like <laughs> uh, one of the funniest things too. I saw. I saw. Uh, Jason Momoa was at the Batman premiere for the new Batman, the the Robert Pattinson Batman. And uh, he was there and somebody, a, a red carpet interviewer 
uh, was like, Hey, can we ask you a question? He's like, yeah, sure. And he's like, uh, so what fish was it? And that's all they asked him. And he just was like, man, he started laughing and like walked away. But then he came back and gave the guy a fist bump. And he was like, that was good. That was good. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) He just seems cool like that. Like he would respond like that about it. Yeah. But it also shows that DC does not give a fuck about any of their heroes other than Batman and Superman. Like apparently there was supposed to be a Batman cameo in this, but they didn't want it because they didn't. They have a hard time explaining who Batman is in their universe right now. If it was because it should have been like the Ben Affleck Batman. And apparently Ben Affleck or somebody donned the suit, that that version of the Batman suit was at least going to be a silhouette in this. But they didn't want to do that because that would be releasing like three weeks before the new Batman. And they didn't want that to be weird. Uh, Yeah, that's fair. Apparently, apparently there was a lot of pushback. With the aforementioned scene when uh, Peacemaker was calling Batman a pussy because he doesn't kill his villains that we were talking about a little bit ago, DC almost wanted that cut. Because as we know historically, DC is insanely, insanely protective of Batman. Mm -hmm. Like you would think it'd be Superman, but they're not. They're not as protective of Superman as they are Batman. And I think it's because they've always constantly got something Batman in the works. Yeah, I was going to say that's like their cash cow. That's probably why. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, they're infinitely, infinitely more worried, like, about protecting Batman. Like, there was a, what comic was it? There was something, some TV show or something, somebody, something made the joke that, uh, that Batman eats pussy. And that was like, that was like, that was their verbiage with it. And DC released a statement that was like, that's not Batman or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Essentially making an official press statement that Batman in fact does not eat pussy. And you're like, what are you doing DC? Like that's a weirdly protect. I want to say it was the Harley Quinn animated series made a joke about Batman like going down on Catwoman. And then like DC released a, a press statement that was like, no, in fact, Batman does not do that. And you're like, that's such a weird thing to come out and say, DC. Why are you being so weird about this? Just to protect, like I said, Batman. I'm like, if anything, you're hurting them guy. Like <laughs> he sounds selfish now. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, they're they're very weird about that stuff. Um, you guys got oh, another little bit. I've got a ton of trivia about this in this episode. Um what year you know the intro song to the show? Uh what year would you think that song came out? It sounds very eighties to me. Um it's probably not, but it has like a 85, 86 vibe to it. Yeah, I was going to go 88, 89. Um, the band that does that wigwam, they're kind of like the darkness from a few years back. Nope, that song came out in like 2010. I figured it was somewhere in the 2000s that it actually came out, yeah. but yeah. No, but they just kind of do that style of 
like 80s hairband metal, but with the most ridiculous ass lyrics you've ever fucking heard. Yeah. Because that's like if you actually listen to the words of that intro song, it is insanity. And then like at the end, it just ends with throw your dog the invisible bone. Yeah. <laughs> they talk about right. like, <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Like when you really listen to the lyrics, you know, just, just flying around on a flying thing. I'm like, what are they talking about? <laughs> like, oh yeah, it's just a bunch of insanity so funny. by a bunch of Scandinavian guys from 10 years ago. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, one more scene that I forgot about that was really funny to me was when uh, Peacemaker was at the school talking to the kids <laughs> and he was like making fun of each of the kids in a very weird way, but like hilarious, like just his rips on these kids were so funny and they had no idea probably what he was even talking about. Like the one that was wearing like all denim and he's like, yeah, you in the Canadian tuxedo and like <laughs> all these like yeah. random things he was talking about. It was so funny to me. Well, and then how one of the little girls was like, I think you're my dad. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, one thing we didn't talk about either. Uh, that fucking chainsaw to a gorilla scene. Oh, that was crazy. That was fucking that was great. Nice. Yeah. That was tight. I, and I, I will say also like, um, the the one who plays Amanda Waller's daughter in this, I'm forgetting her name in the show, but I thought she was fantastic in this. I thought she was a really great supporting character. And I loved her and Peacemaker's relationship, like how it was very much like, you know, they they were just brutally honest with each other about everything. But that's why they connected so well and trusted each other. And I just think that was a really cool like relationship that they had. Yeah, um, Adebayo yeah. was the name of the That's character. Right. But yep. yeah, um, and the actress, uh, Danielle Brooks, when I saw that she was in this, I was like, oh, yeah, because I watched um, Orange is the New Black, and she was really good in that. And I'm trying to think of other things. And I know I think I've seen her in a, in a few other things, too. But I really remember her as like, I think her name was like Tasty in Orange is the New Black. And she was one of the better characters. I, I mean, I thought that she was really good in that. And yeah, definitely like after like Peacemaker and Vigilante, she's probably right there as one of the standout performers. She was good. She she was very good in this. I thought that she was a great character and like how you could see her at odds kind of being, being um, Amanda Waller's daughter and all and everything like that. And then her trying to present herself to the team. And I thought that that moment that she had at the end where she goes all gun crazy on some butterflies was pretty tight too. She, yeah, I, I cool. liked that she got a moment and then like towards the end when she had the helmet on and, and yeah, uh, she's like, what is going on? Yeah. yeah. Peacemaker <laughs> activated the, what was it? The human battering ram or yeah. the human, human wrecking torpedo. ball, whatever it was torpedo. called. Yeah. The human torpedo. And shot straight into the cow or whatever. That that was so hilarious, man. But yeah, was she funny. was great. And she yeah, was she great was with Cena. 
they were good together i was so worried like uh towards the end like there's one scene it was either in the last episode or the second to last episode where she goes back to her wife and she's like you know trying to like make up with her i was so scared that they were about to like shoot the wife or something in front of her to like pay for what she had done or like giving them up or whatever I was worried that that was going to happen. I'm glad it didn't, but I was like, they better not kill off her wife. Cause I don't even like, she would go all Amanda Waller if they did that. <laughs> and it would be interesting to see, but like, yeah, I'm glad they didn't go that route. Oh no, you're absolutely right on that. And I really like at the end, how she kind of fucks her mom over too. Like, Hey, this is project yeah. X and this is this, and this is this. And you're like, damn, out of value. Like, yeah, she kind of stole it there, too. Yeah, she they had a lot of people that stole moments in this show, which is really great because it's like as much as Peacemaker is absolutely like a star in this, like everybody has star moments in this. It's really cool. Yeah, and then on top of that, you have T-1000 himself. Like, then that's my favorite part of the Well, that's tied <laughs> for my favorite part of the intro. Is when Robert Patrick is standing there and he starts air humping while doing the blinkers. <laughs> I was like, where else do you get to Man. see Robert Patrick do that? Like. Right. And I th- he does such a great job of being the deplorable asshole dad in this. It's it's unsettling how good he is at it. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's one of those so things upsetting. that's almost scary because you're like, why are you so good at playing a racist? Like Sam Rockwell. Yes. Like, why are Sam you Sam so Rockwell good at is this? the perfect example of that. Why are you so good at playing despicable racist, Sam Rockwell? You don't seem right. like you would be that guy. Right. Like, at all. Yeah. Yeah. But, he really was. And then some of the interactions that he was having with um, the, the female detective. And man, I don't see her on this, um, this, this little thing of the cast that I have up. But. Um, but, but, but the actress that played her was pretty good too. I I liked it. Like, so whenever they were together and then he would do some sort of insult, like insulting her because he was, she was Asian, like calling her Lucy Lou or something like that. She would always have like this bite back. It was like, she expected it and she always would have this bite back. And then, you know, there was a time where she didn't think it was her insult wasn't as good. And she was like, yeah, I didn't get him that time. And then like, <laughs> there was the time where he was being released and she was like, you know, she said something, but the, but the point of what she said was just like, you know, it looks like a bird took a shit on my head. And she was talking about his haircut and she really got him, you know? And then the, her partner said something like, yeah, see, you wouldn't want to be you something corny. Oh, yeah. And so, like, when they were walking <laughs> off, she was like, I totally nailed him on that one. And then you had to go and mess it up. Like, she, they had a good dynamic, too. Like, those cops. Detective um, Song. Yeah. Yes, yes. Before they were uh, butterflied. You know, I liked those characters as well. Me like, too. every, you know, you just, like, even characters like that, that were just like, very, very, very like on the, you know, down, down, down on the supporting character line. They all had some moments, man. Like all of Ooh, these characters just that had some moments. He kidnaps early on in the series. 
Yeah. They were yeah, great that was so random, but role. they were so funny. Yeah. They were. Like, they really I loved were. it too. Like when they're sitting there, I loved how this show also just showed extended scenes during the end credits. Like I yeah. liked that they weren't bloopers or anything. They were literally just extensions, like another yeah. cut of these scenes. Like and one of theirs was hilarious when they were both, when it showed them in like doing the photo lineups and she's like, Oh, can I keep this one? And, or said something. And he's like, then he starts yelling at her and he, she starts yelling back at him when they're in two mm-hmm. completely different rooms. Yeah. You know, that was funny. And then like, I liked it too. Whenever the cops go and re-question them and it's like, they're just like, Hey, we're here to talk. And he's just standing there and they're like, these are going to kill us if we didn't help. And she's like, God damn it. And she just gets so <laughs> mad at him. Yeah. They were pretty funny. I mean, yeah. Like little aspects like that. It just, the guy that played the janitor. Great. Like, yeah, he's only in it a couple of times, you know, like I really like the fact that they did such a good job of every little role. It fit, you know, like you had all the asshole skin care, uh, the skinhead characters. They were all nice and shitty skinheads. And, you know, like they did such a good job at like getting the right people for every like little role they had in this, you know, and then, like the, the evil guy that is sent to be their inside man in the, the police office, but turns into a butterfly. Yeah. Like, that fucking scene where he's describing the fucking Hamburglar. It's <laughs> fucking hilarious. Yeah. And then he's like, I think he was saying rubble, rubble. And then when the guy's walking yeah. away, he actually does a rubble, rubble. Yeah. Like yeah. he legitimately does it. <laughs> yeah. He's he just a fucking damn rubble, rubble. And you're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> this guy, this, I don't know that if you guys funny. have seen him in anything else. I know Heather has because he plays a character in the second psych movie. Uh, he plays the the Norwegian bartender guy. Yep. He also plays a villain in the show Hell on Wheels. And the guy is an incredibly menacing villain. Mm. And just to see him go, rubble, rubble. I was just I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? And then you see his, his after credit scene where they show the extended version of that, <laughs> where he's like talking to the dead guy. And he's trying to like become sad so he can make sure that he seems sad. When the yeah. other cops come and he's just like slapping himself in the face and laughing. And you're just like, what the fuck is this? It was hilarious, <laughs> but it's like utterly disturbing and hilarious all at the same time. You know, or even the scenes with Mern, like I think he was an underrated character. Like Mern when he's there talking to Economos and all this other stuff. And, you know, he knows he's a butterfly and he's like trying to explain his like growth and all this other stuff. And Mern's like, you've never told anybody that you're chilly. And he's like, oh, I'm kind of chilly now. And he's like, really? And he's like, no. But I thought it seemed like a good time for bonding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then he's sitting there and then it shows him watching a comedy on his couch alone and he's like crying because he can't understand the emotions with it and stuff. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And you're like, it's like <laughs> tragic, but then kind of funny, you know? And I just liked all those like little yeah. scenes. Like I liked how they had those arguments about the Bernstein bears versus the Bernstein bears and stuff like that. And yeah, I like the fact that Adebayo was right. It is the Bernstein bears. Fuck everybody that says different. 
because you just you have to look at the fucking guy's last name. It it's Bernstein. Like there's a very specific reason yeah. why it is actually Bernstein, and it makes complete sense. And just everybody, but like I like how even Mern's like, no, it's Bernstein. You know, and then she busted out later and all that other stuff. But I liked how they had those little arguments. Like it seemed just like, would you ever want that if you're actually a covert operation trying to stop an invasion of aliens from taking over your planet? No, but for this team, it kind of worked. Like, I think that that's what helped build them. You know? Like, and those scenes were just so fucking funny. Like, that scene where John Cena is just listing people that oh, Economist could have put in jail instead of his father. That was great. That was great. <laughs> yeah. And I think if my understanding of that scene is right, I think that was just John Cena just listing people. I don't think they gave him a list. They just said, go for it. I believe that. Man, I believe it. I believe he could do that. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking good. I, I liked how it was all over the place, you know, and then he, he just started start naming cartoon characters and video game <laughs> yeah. characters. And according to him, the cunts on Riverdale. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Actually, I thought about that. Yeah, because that show is insane. But yeah. Oh, man. Funny enough, the detective guy, the partner, he's on Riverdale. I don't know if you remember him on there, Sterling. Yeah, yeah oh, he he's, plays a lot of, he's in a lot of things. He's, a, he's a, I think, a really kind of underrated character actor. He just plays he's a really guy good. in a bunch of shit. You know, uh, oddly enough, the reason why he got cast in this is because he did audition for this. But James Gunn, a lot of people don't remember, James Gunn directed the first Scooby-Doo movie. Oh, really? Or at least he wrote huh. it. But the whole shaggy or the 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 scrappy situation that was kind of studio shit that wasn't him. Um, but he was involved in the first Scooby Doo movie, and he that guy auditioned for Shaggy, and was like the number really? two or three choice to be Shaggy behind Matthew Lillard. Oh, nice. Huh. Okay. And so James Gunn remembered him from that, and then when he auditioned for this, was like, "No, you have to be in this." That's funny. He did really like him for Shaggy. It's just Matthew Lillard was kind of a perfect Shaggy. Like there's no shame in losing yeah. that role to that guy. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. You know. Yeah, so, he is. He is a good character actor. He was also in a psych episode. Yeah, he's just in everything. Like he's he's got that list of just random people in movies. Yeah, he was in the psych episode that oddly enough had the Miz from WWE in it. <laughs> yeah. He was the producer or something of the show or he the was, video yeah, guy. the director or something. And then, yeah, and John Cena was in Psych too. This had a lot of people from Psych. Yeah, it did. And so was uh, Robert Patrick. He was in Psych. Which one was he in? The oh, same one John Cena was in. He plays like the... He plays the colonel for the military The base. colonel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, oddly enough, in John Cena's first movie, <laughs> The Marine, the villain in that is Robert Patrick. So this is like the third time Robert Patrick and John Cena have been together. Wow. I like it. It's a good dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys got any more final thoughts about this here, Peacemaker? 
I don't. No. Did they um, say if they're officially making another season or no? I don't know if they've announced it or not yet. Okay. I think they have to. Please. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah, I hope they do. It, it, it was great. I don't know great. what more they could have wanted from this season. You know, like. You got a damn good season of television. Do another. Fuck it. Like, no, I think yeah. they are doing a second season. I think they are officially because I think James Gunn announced he was going to direct every episode in the second season. Oh, Ooh. man. All right. Yeah, he's going to write and direct every episode. In season two. Oh, yeah. That's going to be crazy good then, probably. Yes. I mean, I... Can't wait. I, I will say this. He he's at least good enough at writing that even when he wasn't directing these episodes, it didn't skip a beat. Yeah. You know? They really didn't. They really didn't. So that that's exciting. I'm glad that they're gonna be coming back because that means we get more vigilante. And of course, Cena. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hope and the whole team else. comes back. That'd be great. Yeah, the whole team. I hope Economy, yeah, there's not a single person. Back. Yeah, I know, right? He really was good. Like, there's not a single person that was not excellent in their role in this. Yeah. So, no, yeah, I am. I I, I will definitely look forward to that. And I kind of hope they do a new intro, just like another thing, just to blow your fucking mind. If they keep the same intro, I'd still be down for it. But I think it'd also be crazy fucking insane if they did another one. I mean, they can keep yeah. the song, but do like a different choreographed scene. That would be kind yeah. of fun, I think. Do a different dance number with characters from that season. Because this one does have characters yeah. that would just be in this. Like, yeah, I can't remember what happens to Judo Master. He does die, right? No, at the end, remember, he's like overlooking the whole field of dead people and starts crying. Or That's whatever. right. He does show up again at the very, very end. Eating yeah. whatever he was eating. Hot Cheetos. Yeah. Because he's always eating hot Cheetos. Which also, that was really great too. The Judo Master fight scenes. Like. Yeah, they were great. And I like the fact that that Peacemaker lost one of those fights. Yeah. Yeah. He underestimated it. But Judo Master was good. (laughs) And then like. I love that. Like at the convenience store. When he was like beating up the. The people outside the store, and then the guy in, like, the owner of the store was like, "Yes, <laughs> yeah." <laughs> he was like, "Yes," <laughs> and like then when um him and Cena that second fight they had, just the insults back and forth. Your body's really bubbly and weird looking. And Cena was like, "Personal insults," you know. <laughs> they just yeah. There were just so many great things about this show, man. Just so many like badass moments like that. <laughs> oh man. No, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see that. You know him back again because he's great too. Plus, there's I don't know if you guys noticed this in the intro song, you actually can see him spying on everybody in the background at one point. Oh, really? Uh. One of the scenes, I think it's when Vigilante is dancing. But if you look in the back right or back left part of the screen where there's a, a gap in the set, Judo Master is in there. Oh, staring at everybody. Look at that. Yep. Before yeah, he comes out of the truck find him. You do see Judo Master spying on everybody. That's funny. And also, uh, shout out to Eagly. That was great, too. We haven't talked about Eagly. 
<laughs> Eagly was pretty great. Yeah. I'm glad Eagly lived. Of, I was scared that Eagly was going to die. I was too. I was too, but I was glad that they didn't do anything with that. But also, yeah, a lot of great moments the Eagle. Yeah, man. When they were running for the cop, man, that Eagle was, was, was wrecking. Are the times that he would just kill something and bring it to Cena and just yeah. sit it there? That seems like, thanks. Or the <laughs> hug at the beginning. Man, when he hugged hug. him in episode one, I busted out laughing. Like, oh, <laughs> he's hugging me. And he was like, dad, dad, get a picture. And dad already walked off. And he's just sitting there getting hugged by this eagle. It was just the weirdest Dumbest, well, then, but like greatest thing ever too, when it happened and he like is trying to take a selfie of it himself <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was great but also like how great was the final scene of this movie when it's john cena just sitting on his porch with eagerly dropping out like the dead thing the ghost of his dad there and then the butterfly of golf is there too like it was mm-hmm. really kind of a summary of this whole show like his character arc with a lot of that stuff yeah. yeah. Like his, the, you know, the, the issues he had with needing to kill his dad, but couldn't kill his dad, but ends up killing his dad. And he should have killed Goff, but he didn't kill Goff two different times. But he still stopped Goff and he more or less still killed Goff because there's no more cow to make any more of that fucking raw amber anymore. And then his best friend, Eagly. Like, it was just kind of a great little, like, culmination of the show as far as the character arc of John Cena's character in that and his disillusionment with being peacemaker and him not being in the uniform yeah yeah, that's true so it's like a great kind of full circle moment for that character you know such a good show yep that is good writing my friends that is good writing yeah All right. So thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com or Facebook. We're Cinema Slayers po- uh, podcast. Twitter and Instagram. We were Cinema underscore Slayers. Uh, TikTok. We were Cinema Slayers pod. Uh, give us a five star rating review. We'd really appreciate it. Apparently you can do that in Spotify now, too. So if you listen to us there, drop it there. Uh, tell your family, tell your friends, tell your friends, family, tell your family's friends. And most of all. Tell those dear sweet mothers. You know why? Because dear sweet mothers, just like me, want to look at John Cena in his underwear all the time because it's a fantastic sight. So me and mothers (laughs) were right there together and they want to hear me talk about it. So, you know, tell them about this. They'd probably love it too. And uh, as I end the TikToks and as I was in this podcast, just remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is the best picture winner. Sarah during this party, y'all looking at me. And it's weird. Somebody else. I don't know what to do. Nobody knows I wish that I knew the lyrics to the song. Because then I could sing it. Alright. Are you ready? Yeah. Come on. Cinema Slayer. That was bad, huh? I don't know. Throw your dog the invisible bone. My nice. hands are on the camera. <laughs> see, Jessica, yeah, you, you got the performance anxiety. We can see you right now. So you can't sing? <laughs> I get it. I totally get it. But yeah. 
I'm gonna have to prepare for that. I'm gonna have to like be ready for yeah, this. Yeah, you gotta, now. you gotta put on. I gotta a show have now. something that I do. Like I gotta put on a show now. It's like real now. Pressure's on. Justin just folds, man. No, I, I have something. I, I'll, you know, once we, you know, we're 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 testing video right now, but once we actually get there. Yeah. I imagine you out. having like this like costume change you're going to do like at the end of every episode yeah, now. Just, <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty hilarious. That would be great. Justin throws yeah, off don't his give me ideas. He's got a fucking peacemaker costume on. Yes. Yep. <laughs> don't give me good ideas, Heather. Don't give me good ideas. Just start doing the dance from Peacemaker at the end of every episode. I would not be opposed. It's a great dance. I wish I knew it. Everybody was kind of doing like, and what was cool about it too, is there's a part where John Cena has his gun and he's still doing dances and people have things. And it was very inventive. Wasn't it like that whole dance number was just hella cool. Oh yeah. See, I'm trying to find, I know, I know that they've announced Something for a season two. I know they did. Hell, what is the next comic book series? Moon Knight? Is it Moon Knight? Yep, Moon Knight at the end of this month. Oh man, Sterling, oh man. Are you excited? Nervous? Is it going to win the Oscar? Uh, Where (laughs) I'm actually kind of worried about, and I've seen some people on TikTok bring this up, and I, I understand why it's actually kind of a concern is Mark Spector, Moon Knight, is technically a Jewish character. Mark Spector mm. is Jewish. His dad in the comics was a rabbi. You know, well, he's not really a practicing Jewish person because, you know, he is the avatar of an Egyptian god. But his character is Jewish, and that caused a lot of problems with his father, and like, which kind of develops the kind of dynamic of the personality that Mark Spector has. And a lot of people are kind of worried that they're just going to either, that they're just going to ignore it. Hmm. You know, it's not a huge part of the comic character, but there are some storylines that it has, that have dealt with it, you know? And plus it's one of those things. It's a representation thing. It's so easy (laughs) to have a flashback of him growing up. Being Jewish, show a picture of him as a kid with the Star David necklace. Something, you know what I mean? Something like that. Like I said, as an adult, he's not a practicing Jew, you know. But he does say things like in the even the newest comic book run, he says something like, "He's like, yeah, I guess that's kind of bad for being the son of a rabbi," you know. Like so, I I hope that they at least do something to show. That that is still a part of this character. Okay. Because what is it a big deal to me as a Moon Knight fan? Not really. Because, like I said, it's not an integral part to who his character is. You're never like Moon Knight, you know, the Jewish superhero. But also that's because I'm not Jewish, you know? So mm. that wouldn't matter as much to me. And so if there is a fan base out there that are fans of him because he was the first time they got to see a Jewish superhero. 
I don't want them to be disappointed in it. You know, I want them to still see what they, they liked and what they, you know, what they saw represented with it, you know? So I hope it's there. And if it's not, and Jewish people attack Disney for worst case, just intentionally leaving it out or, Hmm. or not caring if it got left out, I guess is the best case scenario is they didn't care if it got left out. Worst case is if they intentionally left it out. Yeah. You know, it would be fair criticism. Yeah, it would be. And I, and I don't want to see that happen to something that is my favorite superhero. And I'm excited to see him actually get his time in the, in the limelight, like truly in the limelight. Now, has he had some big story arcs in the comics? Yes, but there's a difference between limelight and the comics and you're a fucking Disney show. And you're the first character to not appear in the movies as a show. Yeah. That's true. I didn't even think about it that way, but yeah. You're the first would be. premiere as a Disney uh, TV show. So I hope that that's not something that can overshadow it. I, you know, I, it'd be great if they did an episode showing his upbringing and showing that being a part of it. Like I said, or worst case, at least show like, you know, has a star of David on or something, you know, something. They need yeah. to acknowledge it so it's not whitewashing, you know? 